Hello, welcome to Four Questions with Alice Evans. I am delighted to welcome Senior Lecturer at King's College London, Ed Gomez, and to discuss his wonderful new book on geopolitics and health. Right, so the consensus in health is that in order to galvanise governments to prioritise ill health, we need to strengthen democratisation and bottom-up pressure for reform. So, Ed, in looking, in doing your research on the BRICS, um, Brazil, India, China, Russia, South Africa, did you find that bottom-up pressure for reform was the major driver of government prioritization of health? Yes, well, surprisingly, no, that was not the major catalyst for reform. Bottom-up pressures, activists, NGOs, pressuring the national government, that wasn't the main catalyst for reform and responding to these diseases, obesity, AIDS, and tuberculosis. Instead, it was the international community, international pressures from the United Nations, the World Bank, academics and conferences who are being quoted in newspapers for criticizing countries like China, India, Brazil, that they were not doing anything in response to AIDS, uh, TB, or obesity. And that was really the motivation for these political leaders. They didn't want to be perceived as emerging economies that were not tackling these public health issues. While activists were mobilizing in um, all, most of these countries, the exception of Russia and to a certain extent South Africa and China, uh, while activists, especially in Brazil, were mobilizing, they were not, uh, that was not leading to, do, to, to any kind of concrete policy reforms during this I, time. I find that so surprising because Brazil, there has been so much social activism and often enabling stronger government response on inequality. So mm -hmm. why did the government neglect or ignore or not being swayed by bottom-up pressure? Yeah, so at the very beginning, there was uh, no interest in working with NGOs for these diseases, mainly because of the, the large public stigma, stigma surrounding them. Mm. In contrast to what many people know about AIDS in Brazil, for example, you know, Brazil in recent years has had an amazing reputation for tackling AIDS and working with prostitutes and working with uh, drug addicts. Uh, and this occurred in the late 1990s, early 2000s, but during the late 80s, early 90s, when the AIDS epidemic first emerged, there was a lot of uh, stigma mm. and uh, discrimination, even among politicians, yeah. towards those with the disease. And it wasn't until uh, the UN uh, started to criticize Brazil, to meet with health officials in Brazil, that, that the government started to pay more attention to it. And, and I had, with interviews with, with uh, former politicians there, and, uh, and activists, that was the main catalyst, was that was the worry that Brazil was being painted as a country that wasn't caring about its people. And you have to remember during this time, mm. during democratization, uh, they, were, they were transitioning from military government in yeah. 85. And issues of human rights is very, very important. So Brazil did not want to be perceived as, as not paying attention to health and human rights. And so, so it wasn't until the international community really stepped up its response that there was a, that, that there were there was a, a, some action taken. But before then, because of the stigma, and, yeah. and especially in India and China, I never knew how bad the stigma was there on on AIDS uh, and even obesity as a disease that is mainly associated for wealthy individuals that don't need government attention. That was the major argument that that the Indian government uh, was making about obesity. Uh, that uh, you know that obesity is among the upper classes that they can take care of themselves or we have all these other poor individuals who have no access to good food out malnourishment we have stunting and that was perceived as the main uh, where the main needs were, were, were uh, prior to international pressure so it was really these prejudices and discriminations 
uh, in these countries for, uh, that explains why there was no response. Okay, okay, but hold your horses here because if there's one case, if there's one case I know where social mobilization was incredibly important, catalyzing strong government response, was the treatment action campaign in South Africa. Wasn't that, you know, people coming out, even Mandela wearing the t shirt, championing, fighting yes. the stigma, all these people saying, no, we need free access to ARVs. Didn't that yes. catalyze yes. government I mean, response? Oh, that was a good response. Certainly, it pressured the government to do something about access to AIDS. But you have to remember that you know the AIDS was a problem before the attack emerged, mm -hmm. and even then. Uh, while there were activists and academics pressuring the Mandela administration, uh, there was no concrete reform. You have to remember that um, providing medicine is important, certainly, I mean, for AIDS, but there also needs to be strong prevention. There also needs to be strong money to the Ministry of Health for prevention activities. And these things were not happening. So TAC was certainly very effective in, in, in raising awareness and fighting in the courts for getting access to medicine, which they eventually did, and they forced the government to do that. But prior to then, they were not being listened to, and, and, and other issues of prevention, uh, you know, and, and funding for the Ministry of Health and funding for the state uh, provincial governments, that was missing. And so what I was looking at in the book is really looking at complete centralized policy reform where all these issues of prevention and treatment are taken care of, not just one, one aspect. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. So my problem in looking at TAC and thinking it was so transformative is I was just looking at the provision of medicines. Yes. Where actually, we need to think about the stronger, concerted government policy response to all dimensions. Of yes. It. Yes. I'm with you. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> so are you telling me that civil society doesn't matter at all? Do we just rely on the UN? No. Civil society in the book is very important. It's important, however, when the governments are ready to work with them. So in all of these countries, which I found, especially in Brazil uh, and India, but particularly in Brazil, which was the most successful, uh, when the government finally decided by the early 1990s, mid-1990s, that it needed to implement these prevention and treatment programs for AIDS, and eventually when it decided it needed to do something about obesity, um, it started to proactively work with NGOs. Why? Because it needed their help in sort of implementing prevention programs. It needed them to get money from the World Bank uh, or the UN. And so what I argue is that civil society is important and acts as an important resource for those bureaucrats that are striving to build their programs. Now that sounds very self-interested. But that's what the research showed. It was that the bureaucrats were finally, when they realized they needed civil society to implement policy, to monitor policy, but also to, to large, to to grow their budgets, to increase their budgets and their, and their and and their human resources. That's when civil society becomes important. Right. So the in the BRIC, civil society has not necessarily led governments to prioritize health on these issues, but it has been an important partner in service delivery. Yes, service delivery and expanding the programs later. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Are all governments responsive to international pressure? Well, no. All governments are not responsive to international pressures. I think Russia is the perfect example in this book and just striking ongoing evidence throughout the chapter uh, about its, its lack of interest in responding to pressures to do something about AIDS. You know, the AIDS situation in Russia is the worst in the world so far. It continues to be, um, and the government has repeatedly ignored uh, pressures from the WHO, from the UN, to uh, provide assistance to drug addicts, to, to, to prostitutes. 
And so, and the reason is, is because as I talk about, uh, Russia has always positioned, positioned itself geopolitically as a world leader like the U.S. and trying to uh, lead the world in funding and increasing uh, policy attention to diseases and trying to do things on its own, trying to show that it's not relying on other countries. Mm -hmm. And so Russia, and especially in the Putin administration, has tried to rejuvenate Russia's global image as a superpower. That's dovetailed with this interest in not listening to other countries and doing things on their own. So that's certainly Russia is the excellent example. China and India are very concerned about international reputation. South Africa is now as well, but at the beginning during the 80s and 90s it wasn't. And again, during the Mbeki administration, the Mandela administration, they were really isolated and were looking at being a leader in throughout Africa, being a more of a regional leader, and people were looking to them as that. So those countries that see themselves as regional or global leaders, the US, Russia, South Africa, they're, they're less likely to be uh, pressured by international or, or you know, motivated by international pressures. I mean, Cuba, for example, is another one that obviously doesn't, you know, pay attention much to the international community, uh, especially the West and the U.S. So there are still countries that are do that. And in terms of civil society, civil society is still very important in, in mobilizing interest and mobilizing awareness. And, uh, and working with international communities and, 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 and organizations to mobilize awareness and pressure governments. Uh, but my book suggests that until the governments have a foreign policy motivation or international motivation, these NGOs often don't get as, are not as influential as they should be. I mean, it's one thing to increase awareness in countries, and in these countries, prior to these international pressures, NGOs were increasing awareness through publications and making politicians aware, but it's an entirely different thing to motivate policy, to, to, to lead, no, to, to, uh, to uh, influence policy change, and influence policy design, and that is where these, these NGOs were not successful until these international pressures emerged. So they're still very important, uh, and, they, and the good news is that there, there is now a track record of these NGOs in the BRICS that are working, uh, not only with these diseases, but NGOs in Brazil, for example, working on AIDS and TB have, are now working with others on other NCDs, on diabetes. Uh, you know, NGOs tend to share resources with other NGOs that stand for similar ideological beliefs like uh, human, uh, equal rights to healthcare. So there is now a large network of NGOs in, in these countries and even in China that have international tension and are willing to work with others and helping others. And so the, the backbone for civic activism is, is pretty strong, with the exception of Russia, I would say. Russia, there still is, as I talk about in the chapter, uh, proactive efforts by the government to monitor NGOs. Yeah. They've forbidden uh, uh, international organizations to give money to NGOs. That's banned by mm -hmm. law now. And so that is sort of the anomaly in the worst case of all the BRICS countries. But in these countries, the other ones and other emerging economies, there is a, a, a rather strong uh, foundation now for activism. And I think that it will increase and be more important over time. But again, we have to make the distinction between agenda setting and attention yeah. versus policy creation and implementation. Yeah, that's an important yeah. distinction. So I just yeah. want to go back on one point. When we say international pressure, how do you think we can increase international pressure going forward? Because, you know, do we just criticize all 
countries. Well, you're doing terribly, yeah. you're doing terribly. Well, that's where activists come in. They can work with uh, the UN, the World Bank, and providing them with information, providing them with evidence, and motivating these international organizations to, to write reports and organize conferences and be vocal about the ongoing challenges in these countries. Brazil, for example, in recent years, in the past couple of years, because of the change in political leadership, with Dilma leaving office and the conservative Temer administration, now Brazil is going back to where it was in the uh, late 80s with, with respect to not funding AIDS prevention programs, especially for the gay community uh, and the drug community. So there is now a, a conservative uh, movement yeah. that's reemerged in Brazil. Now activists are again pro you know, trying to draw attention to this and, and get the World Bank and the UN, especially the UN, to, 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 to raise attention to this issue. So that's how international pressures can emerge, through activists uh, informing the United Nations, but also academics, you know, uh, you know articles and books and, and op-eds and whatever kind of media that we can use, social media that we can use to tell the truth about what's happening. Mm. I think the book focuses on BRICS and geopolitics. Do you think there are parallels with other countries, like low and middle income countries? Certainly, certainly. I mean, there is... Uh, you know, and your work on Zambia, for example. Oh yeah, development policy review, and it's really yes. weird how similar yes. it is to your study because yes. in Zambia, you know, maternal mortality was really, really high. But around 2006, 2007, policymakers, politicians started to think, oh, no, Zimbabwe can't be doing better than us because Zambia was lagging right at the back towards these shared indicators of socio-economic development and people just didn't want to look bad you know maybe unlike the BRICS they weren't concerned about global prestige yes. but they were certainly concerned about reputation within Africa yes. and they were comparing themselves to Chad, Malawi and I think ah, no we can't be doing this and yes. also I think within, within Africa seeing other countries just like them making progress was also inspirational you know, in Zambia, maternal mortality was sort of regarded as inevitable. Of course, yes. you know, we had these high rates. But yeah. seeing that other countries just like us can make progress, can radically reduce deaths, that was really important in the Zambian context. So I think your yes. research is really interesting in highlighting that, yes, geopolitics matters, but even, even within emerging economies or, or, or smaller economies like Zambia, the nations are concerned about their reputation. Yes, yes, it doesn't have to be just geopolitical at the large scale, yeah. it can be a regional scale. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so I think that, you know, in any group, uh, of uh, with, when you're in, in any group, you don't want to be seen as the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> and so when and this is where the media is so important because yeah. when the media starts talking comparing your country to others mm. that's when these things happen you know yeah and, that's, and so, that's so important yes. points about regional benchmarking and peer yes. learning yes so yes. I think that's something that perhaps could be amplified in the SDG process you're enabling for example within the African Union to sort of regional benchmarking lead tables saying who's doing better than who who's creeping yes. out who doesn't want to be left behind yeah Yes, I yes. think, yeah, regional benchmarking, peer learning would be really wonderful. Absolutely, absolutely. And we can expect China in the future to be, you know, now that the Trump administration is, you know, taking a back step from international environmental leadership, uh, China will try to take over. And one of the things I talk about at the end, uh, or one possibility is that those countries that were concerned about their international reputation, China, India, Brazil, they eventually become leaders. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to look out to see if they 
become a Russia and decide not to listen to international criticisms and rather try to lead uh, other countries and try to set the example mm -hmm. uh, like Russia has tried to do. So uh, what's interesting, what I found is that reputation building is great, global reputation building is great to a certain extent, but then countries like China run the risk of becoming global powers and leaders and not listening or caring about the reputation anymore now that they perceive themselves as being accomplished and now that they have a better voice in, in the international community they then start to become like Russia <clears throat> where they want to be leaders and provide money and ideas and see themselves as the creators of ideas and money rather than learning from others and caring about the reputation. Oh I see, so, so it's people who are just below the cusp, who are, who are most insecure, yes. who are most keen yes. to position yourself but once yes. you've established yourself yes. then you're like boom I made it. Who Yes, exactly, exactly. Because Russia, for example, in the 60s was great at tackling public health diseases, smallpox, uh, for example, and other public health diseases, and, and it was seen as the global model. Mm -hmm. And at that time, as I talked about in, in the chapter, Russia gave more money than the U.S. for the global campaign to eradicate smallpox. Wow. Yes, and so it was a leader, right? So. So it had already gone through a long time of, of trying to establish itself as a leader. The 60s come, right? The Soviet Union comes in, then, then it sort of withdraws, isolates from the Irish community, and now Putin comes back to, re, to rejuvenate, to claim back Russia's global status as a, as a leader. So you're right. I mean, it, uh, it, it's those countries that are trying to establish that reputation. And once that... Once they go beyond that and become leaders yeah. in international finance and, and policy ideas, then, like in the U.S., uh, Russia, and maybe China in the future, they start to pay less attention to right. criticisms and yeah. try to do things on their own. Yeah. And so we'll have to look and see if China does that as well. And I have a suspicion that that will probably happen, especially with the BRICS Development Bank. Yeah. China is now putting the most money in that bank and it's expecting to have the most influence in that bank. Mm. And so, um, you know, only time will tell. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, what, you know, and then, so what will that mean? That means that in the future, as, as in Russia, if you become a global leader, then you pay, pay less attention to the domestic diseases. So what I found really interesting in the Russia case was uh, for harm reduction and providing funding for AIDS uh, victims and harm reduction, you know, providing clean needles and methadone treatment. Uh, there was a case uh, several years ago where the government, the Putin administration, was giving a neighboring country, I forget which one, which country it was in, in, the, in Eastern Europe, uh, money for harm, uh, for, for methadone treatment mm. and, and, and clean needles for mm. AIDS victims. Mm. But then an NGO in Russia went to that country and said, can we have some of your resources? And that, that country said, well, this is kind of ridiculous because your, your government just gave yeah. us money mm. uh, for this issue and they're not giving you any money. So what, what that was very telling because what that showed was the Putin administration really wanted again to be perceived as the regional leader in, in combating AIDS and didn't really mm. care about its own AIDS community. Mm. So. Um, so that could happen with China as well, where it starts to give a lot of money to, oh, yeah. to AIDS and obesity and malnutrition and other MDG policy efforts, but then neglects its own mm. population. So yeah, it's an it's a interesting, interesting this time. This is such yeah. a fascinating book. Ed, thank you so much. Sure. And I recommend everyone to check out the book, Geopolitics yes. and Health, and yes. I'll leave a link on the website. Thank yes. you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much.